Okay, all right. I'm gonna fix my. All right. Uh oh. You all right, Shelby? Uh, I do. I look purple. Mm, no. 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 I mean, you got like a little rosy cheeks thing going on, but there we go. Let's leave it like that. As good as I can get it. All right. All right. Well, you know, let's just keep going. Let's do cold open. I'll do an intro later. This is this is perfect. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, hey, guys, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining me tonight. Uh, I've got Alan, Zach, and Shelby, and we're just, we're just going to have a good time. I think, I think that's, you know, we're all, we're all trapped. We're all prisoners in our homes with our kids. If you hear any screaming in the background, I haven't beaten mine. They're just <laughs> screaming. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to give them both like, here's an iPad, go away. Like that's, that's the plan. Um, but so, so this is cool. We're, we're all in different time zones too. So, uh, Alan, you're no Zach, you're Pacific I'm Pacific time. Shelby, where are you at? I'm in mountain time. I'm in Idaho. So where you're in Idaho, Zach's in Oregon. Alan, you're uh, Texas Central time. time. You're at Texas time. Yeah, it's, you don't even call it Central. You just call it no, Texas. No, it's, it's Texas time. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm I'm in Ohio, so I'm Eastern, which is weird. Like, why is Ohio Eastern time? Right? Like, we're right on that border, but everyone always asks me, "Why are you Eastern?" I'm like, I don't know. I didn't make the lines. <laughs> There's no Midwest so, time zone, <laughs> right? That'd be weird. Then we'd have five. Mm-hmm. Five. Technically, we do have five. Well, I mean, if you count, you know, Alaska's got its own, Puerto Rico's got its own, Hawaii's got its own. So, yeah, you know, I, Maine okay. has a separate one. The, oh, that's right. Forgot about that one. So, yeah, we we've got quite it's a few the time zones. Time zone, yep. But that one doesn't count. <laughs> no, that one doesn't count. As CEO of Aero CMS, we respect all states and their times. <laughs> Even Arizona. <laughs> Even Arizona, yes. That's a great CEO answer. So, so Shelby, uh, that, that answers my next question. You're the CEO? Yes. Are you the, are you the real CEO, or are you just like the made-up CEO? No, I think it's I get, all they, made up. Come on. <laughs> no, no, it's a real job. I have they send me charts with pictures on it, and I look at them, and the lines go up, and that's a good thing. And I nod, and they run off and do their work. So we're not cool. at all turning the chart sideways so that they always go up. That's probably okay either way. I mean, <laughs> so and then Zach, your official title is COO. No, I'm CTO. I guess CTO. I fulfill the role of COO as well. So and, and director an and IT company, an IT company, like you're all CTOs, right? Like I have no C level, anything one of the work. Well, you, know, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't mean for like for your company. I think I got to drop my game here a minute. So I don't, I don't mean for your like specific company. I mean, um, like you, you're all like really awesome IT guys. Really awesome. Oh, <laughs> shucks. So, uh, so it's just weird to have a CTO or a CIO for an MSP. Sure, sure, sure. Because, sure. like you said, we we do a lot of these these jobs for our our customers. All of these different types of roles, 
and also in a, in a small company like this, like you said, we're all very technical people and we end up doing a lot of the, all these type of roles and have had this past experience. So, yeah, um, it's, it's a little different than a lot of, a lot of your C-level type positions that you'll see in other companies for sure. So Alan, what is your position? What is my official title, Zach? Uh, besides uh, oh. director of Texas <laughs> operations, <laughs> director of texas operations yeah i like that uh i mean like you work as an analyst an automation engineer an infrastructure guy i believe we had my my official title i think it was automation engineer i think when i when i signed my agreement i think that's yeah, what yeah i think upon. that's what it said Something and that's like what that. you put on linkedin so now you know it's true there you go so hold on a second you guys actually signed agreements yeah, because yeah. you know, it's got crazy. an employment contract. It's crazy. I have an employment right? contract and everything. I'm a, I'm well, a wage it, slave. You know, everyone always talks about signing these agreements on Facebook and Reddit and wherever else. You know, all the all the IT guys are asking you, "Hey, what do I what do I need to do?" And I'm going to hire employees. Like, oh, you should have them sign an agreement. Well, why would I do that? Well, so that way they don't screw you. Like. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, what other reason is there? <laughs> well, but I just wanted to do it because it grants us intellectual property rights to anything that Alan comes up with. It's true. <laughs> they own me. As we kind of right. were talking about a little bit earlier, there we provide a lot of of advice and guidance to our our customers about all kinds of things, mostly with a technological focus. So it's kind of disingenuous for us to provide advice like you need to make sure you've got legal you know processes in place and agreements and you need to make sure you've got your plan of action and your steps and you follow through them and train those if we don't do it ourselves so mm -hmm. that's one thing we've been put an emphasis on from the beginning is making sure we do it right our business so that we can nice. in good conscience tell other people how to do it right so so <clears throat> excuse me with with you guys doing things the right way. I mean, that's, that's great. That's like unheard of. If you think about it, like if you look at what a lot of MSPs are doing, uh, they're <laughs> not always doing that. Um, I'm honestly a little bit, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually, by the way, I'm a little bit new to, you know, the MSP space uh, myself. Okay. Um, so this is the so, first MS, like actual complete and total MSP that I've worked for. So that actually even surprises me a little bit. So let me let me make this uh, real easy for you, Alan. Uh, take everything that you've learned at Aero CMS. Um, and, I know where this is going. Crumple it up, <laughs> throw it away, yeah. because I don't know of any other. I'm sure there are, but I just don't know of any other MSP that operates the same way as Aero CMS. And I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the fact that you guys are also an MSSP. Um, so you guys are very security focused. You're very security conscious. Um, but it also, you know, you guys are all just, you're all top notch. You know, Zach, uh, I remember you told me your, your CFO used to do like big data. So, you know, they, they just show up with, you know, big charts and graphs and numbers and dashboards and, you just kind of smile and nod and they tell you everything's fine. And, and you, you just assume that they're not lying. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you told me something awesome about, about Shelby. I just don't remember. I think he oh, said sure he, he was, 
<laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he said uh, between the two of us, he's the weird one. Well, which accurate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, which, uh, to be fair, to be fair, like I would be shocked if that were actually the case because. I mean, I don't know what a conversation is like within your organization, but when we talk to Zach, uh, it, typically he he just kind of says things for twenty to thirty minutes, and at the like eleven minute mark, my brain's just on overload. Like he's he's saying big words, and I'm just like, uh, and I I have no idea what he's just said to me. I think the the other day it was uh, St. Patrick's Day. He finally said something that made sense. And I think the only reason for that was because I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> we we so, like to make sure our customers you know. are drunk, especially when we hand them the bill. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 very important. <laughs> our booze yeah. budget, you, you would not believe. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so I, I think are all three of you are drinking beer. Mm-hmm. And, and it's three, four, and five o'clock where you guys are at. So this mm-hmm. is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I'm drinking ice water. I don't. I don't know. I I asked my wife. I said, "Hey, you want to make me a tequila sunrise?" And she just gave me this look, like, <laughs> "You're crazy." I know what you're like when you're drunk, and you don't need that in a live <laughs> in a live setting. <laughs> So I'm I'm probably just gonna have ice water the whole time. It's gonna be great. Uh, all right. So I know I know Zach is like I call him my ancient aliens security guru. Like if he had hair, it would be really long. It would be like never combed. Uh, it would be straight up on end, and he would be doing this. You know. So he actually so made. He actually, I actually made a meme for that joke. It's the ancient aliens guy, and it just says, "I'm not saying it's an APT, but it's an APT." Yep. <laughs> yep. And and you know, I'm pretty sure like a third of the guys that are watching this are like, "It's an APT." There you go, Zach. Uh, What's an APT? Well, we'll get to that later. Okay. Well, you you type it, and then you put a hyphen, and then the word "get," and then you do update, and then Ubuntu. <laughs> We're we're going from what's an APT to an even narrower group of people on listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh boy! All right, so are all of you guys kind of security focused, or is Zach just the big security nut? Zach is well, our is of security focused from more of the blue team side. Um, I come originally more from the red team side. Um, doing security p- testing, penetration testing, and then red team work uh, for a variety of, of companies. Um, so that's kind of my background. So yeah, we all have a security background. We all have a passion from, for security because we've dealt with it regularly. And we've seen how even the bigger companies do a bad job of, of implementing security and following through with that kind of stuff. And like you said, especially in the space that we play, the the SMB space and and slightly larger, the the options that companies have when they don't know how to do it currently are not very good in the, by and large. And it's really it was really frustrating to us, and that's one of the reasons we decided to try and start a company and and do a better job than what's out there. So, talk to me about 
you know, you're talking about red team, blue team, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of us have a basic understanding of, um, we're talking about security and and it's probably almost like good guys versus bad guys, white hat versus black hat. Um, so one of those teams is probably more focused on building up the walls and the other team is more focused on tearing down the walls, right? Yeah, um, the red team is, I wouldn't say they're focused on tearing down the walls. They're more focused on trying to act like a bad guy would. And by the action of doing that, find the holes and the weaknesses to help the blue team patch those before the bad guy finds them. Uh, Well, it's kind of what I meant. I just wanted to make you sound much more nefarious and evil. (laughs) I mean, I can go get my hoodie if if I need to. We might need you, but it's confusing because you said you're a red team guy, but you're wearing a shirt that says eternal blue. I know. That's that's how I sneak in. Nobody nobody suspects me. <laughs> nobody suspects the, the guy with the blue shirt of being on the red team. Mm-hmm. Tricky, tricky. Mm-hmm. So so you're a red team guy, you're the bad guy. You're you're uh we'll just call Shelby North Korea for the rest of this time for the duration. I don't even get to be somebody cool like Russia or China. No, heck no, man, you're Kim Jong un. <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then Zach, you were blue team or I, I should say R. Yeah, I would be the blue team. He's going to build a wall. He's going to make red team pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like uh, it. So you're, you're captain America. You're, uh, you're I like it. Captain America versus Kim Jong-un. This is fair. This is very fair fight. Um. All right. So. So we heard Shelby said that red team, they're all about uh, poking, prodding, finding the holes so that way you guys can patch them. What do you do on a more proactive uh, approach uh, as a blue team guy? Because I'm sure you don't just sit around and wait for the red team guys to give you a report. Well, I mean, obviously, blue team as a domain is pretty large. Uh, you've probably seen me banding about the the domain knowledge chart that I've shown you in the past, where it has like all the different facets and how they're laid out and how they're related together. Um, pretty much all of that, except for one little corner on the right side, is blue team. Is considered blue oh. team. I mean, you have uh, a facet of blue team would be like compliance and governance. You know, assessing risk, auditing. Um, and everything related to that and how that applies within like legal frameworks, insurance, uh, uh, you know, responsibility, risk, like all of that stuff is considered blue team. Um, and then there's security engineering, which is just like the engineering of secure infrastructure and systems, right? So this would be the guy that is responsible for making sure you know, you have deny all outbound firewall rules on your Fortinets, right? Or the the guy making sure that all the access control lists between VLANs are properly set up, that there are proper VRFs, that, you know, the segmentation of the network is appropriately applied. Um, that's more your engineering side, the, the building of things and the configuring of things. Whereas uh, on the more detection side, you have like this, you know, the sim engineers that are that are building and maintaining the log collection, and you have the the SOC analysts that are correlating on those logs and investigating. Um, you have the threat hunters that are they're going above and beyond, like 
re- reactive investigation and are actually trying to like model specific types of attacks and hunt for those those types of attacks that may be occurring that's some, like much more sophisticated than than a reactive model um and then you have um like tools engineers and and people writing correlation and then you have incident responders like these are the people that come in and you know once a threat has been detected they're the ones that run through the the processes and run books to remediate that threat whether that be evicting the attacker remediating the vulnerability or you know following up on all of that and that goes even further with like digital forensics like those like doing deep investigations on what happened how it happened what can we learn from this is there criminal charges involved do we have to present this this data as evidence in a criminal case you know does there need to be like evidence handling procedures um chain of custody and all of that stuff you know like it's very very broad you know so like as far as what i do i do a little bit of all of the above mostly focused on the detection side with like sim and and investigation and correlation a um, little bit on the security engineering side like we have to architect client environments to maximize our fidelity uh so that we can see as much as we can possibly see um i do you know the incident response too uh to a certain degree and you know automated incident response is like a big thing now and that's kind of where alan comes in is I come up with what action needs to be taken. Alan tries to figure out, can we make those actions happen automatically and consistently on a repeating basis? Now, you brought up a a really good point earlier. Uh, You mentioned chain of custody. So talk to me about chain of custody right now. Because right now, uh, you know, for those of you watching this, you know, four or five years from now, You've probably forgotten. There was a thing that happened back in 2020. It was called coronavirus. And that's what we're dealing with right now. <laughs> we are all. We, like, I, I saw something earlier where, where someone said, just think if someone like time traveled and met you 10 years ago and said, uh, you know, in the year 2020, uh, what, what all did it say? You know, there's, there's going to be all these CEOs leaving their companies. Uh, we're going to have uh, c- a celebrity game show host as a president. Uh, we're going to have a, a global pandemic. We're going to have, you know, and the, the list just kept get going. And they're like, and that's all within the first three months. You'd be like, oh, you're crazy, man. Here's a dollar. Just go away. You're, you know, some, some homeless <laughs> guy drugs or something. But, but no, this is, this is the life we're living, folks. So, so talk to me about. Uh, chain of custody because i i suspect that could become a little more difficult to make sure stays intact as we all are are doing this whole shelter in place or stay at home or what have yeah like to a certain degree there are certain types of evidence collection where like it has to be physical like present like when you take a, a right blocked image of a drive 
right? Like that's where you copy a hard drive and to an external. And then like now that's physical evidence, right? Like this hard drive is now evidence and you have to have a chain of custody sheet for it. And you sign it saying, I'm so-and-so. And on this date at this time, I collected the following pieces of information. Uh, it is now evidence initial here. And then like when you turn that over to somebody else, you go through that whole same process of like, I'm so-and-so, I collected this evidence from such and so-and-so at this date, at this time, initial here, you know, to validate like who had control of it at what time, when, and everybody involved attests that we did not change any of this. This evidence is preserved. Um, and you can do the same thing with like digitally collected evidence. Um, generally you have some sort of highly secure system. Uh, there are dedicated like case management systems for stuff like that. And some people, like as long as you can attest to that, like nobody had access to this or made any changes to it or any changes that could have been made would have been audited. Uh, and then you just like have a control sheet and take screenshots of like what you're gathering and put it in a specific place and sign a form saying like, yep, like this is valid. Like I've moved it, I've collected it and placed it in this place at this time, you know, sign off here. Um, it's a, more of a bureaucratic process than like a physical process these okay. days. Um, like the, the, the fancy case management systems actually have like immutable storage and um, like cryptographic signatures on things that are collected that, you know, you can like really dive deep and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is in fact not been changed. Uh, but that's not a required process. It's just really nice. And, oh. and related to that, uh, it's one of the, the important points of why you need really good logs, because if you're logging everything, uh, whatever that means, you, you've got all the vital logs that helps ensure that when that information is is taken and and snapshotted for the investigation that it wasn't altered at that point or only selectively gathered because again you should have good logs of of the entire process and everything happening within the environment and of course also in your incidents response handling environment as well because that's obviously a very sensitive space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to ruin what's going on by mishandling of of information okay um okay so one of the other things that that you mentioned with with blue team was trying to figure out um sending things over to alan and saying can you figure out how to fix this and can it be automated um so, so Alan, I guess what I would ask you is when, when they come to you with these questions, are, are they coming to you with like crazy off the wall stuff? Like what's, what's the most ridiculous request you've got? No, it's, it's, it's not, it's not like that, uh, quite so much. Um, one of the things that they kind of brought me on to do was, um, sort of just, you know, automate the mundane away. One of the, one of the things that I like to uh, that I that I told Zach uh, when he hired me, and it hasn't hasn't been that long ago yet, uh, was the best way for um, you to get me to automate something is to start tasking me with things, like literally just things that you're doing right now. You know, like every day, it's like you know just that that grunt work that you do. You know, it's like I come in, you know, I get you know here's an incident, you know, we're handling it, whatever, and I and here's here's the process that we that right now I'm going through to. To handle this, to do, you know, whatever it is that I need to do with it. Um, and it's a time suck and I hate it. 
Um, and this would be something that, you know, it's like, hey, can we just can we just hire somebody, just like a low-level person, pay them a little bit of nothing and uh and give them like a flow chart or something? Like if you see this, I need you to do this and record this here and you know, da 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 da. So, so like make an SOP and have a monkey do it. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people do that. Um, and the way my brain works is no, give that to me. Uh immediately uh I start looking at it going, Oh my god, this is my life now from from now on. This sucks. Uh, oh my God. I, I don't like, want to do this. <laughs> yeah. I do not want to. I'm like, and, and they're like, oh yeah, you can do this all day long, Alan. Ham- you can just hammer a check all day and this is all you got to do. And I'm like, I'll put a gun to my head. Hell no. So immediately I panic <laughs> and I'm like, surely I can automate this away somehow. You know, it's like, okay, is this, does this, does this product that we're using, is there an API for it? You know, it's like, what, what do I have okay. access to? What do I just anything? It, it's, it's, it's kind of a broad thing. Um, that's pretty much what I've done my entire career is script and program my way out of doing work. Um, <laughs> uh, so here at Arrow, I, I'm now getting to do that with a, uh, with more of a, um, a security focus, which is fun. Um, so, so with uh, scripting your way out of work, were, were you ever that guy who like, you know, you were getting paid for 40 hours a week, but you, you were like, you know, on an Island somewhere sipping mojitos. Cause pretty close. Script- at all as a lawyer i i recommend not responding (laughs) (laughs) no the the neat thing the neat thing that i like about working at arrow is that uh they actually or we actually like value that mentality it's a completely different kind of way of looking at things they're like oh yes do please do more of that uh it it makes you automation we kind of see automation as a bit of a force multiplier yeah. Well, um, of course, because with, with automation, I mean, the more you can automate, the less you need human intervention. So the less human intervention you need, the, the more, you know, customers, seats, devices, you know, whatever widgets, you know, what, whatever you guys are able to support per technician or per employee, that continues to increase. You know, you're, you know, you guys started, maybe you were able to do 200 devices per user, and now you're able to do, you know, 2,000 per user. because Just because you guys have automated so much, you've got so much scripting, remediation, uh, self-healing, you know, whatever you want to call it. It may sound depressing is- to some people, but, like, I, I want to automate away some of the lower-level SOC analyst jobs. And And I think that's, you know, not just making us more effective at our job but another there's there's upsides to our customers too uh because if you've got to have a human go check and make sure that logging's happening that this security posture on this machine is is active and and it is enforced uh eventually there's going to be gaps because humans make mistakes over time and they get distracted with other things so as much of that as we can automate i can i mean i can count i i don't have enough fingers on my hands to count all the times that as a red teamer I would run into situations where they'd be like, oh, yeah, well, uh, I'm sure we have alerts and things that caught you. Let's just go check the systems. And, you know, they go look and they, their logging failed a month ago and nobody noticed. And so one of oh, the, the the goals of our automation is to make sure that we enforce policies and security and posture in the environment so that it never fails silently. Or if it does, we either automatically repair it or we have scripts checking that alert us to go look at it. Okay. So, see my, you know, we, I made it much longer, 27 minutes in and my brain hurts. So, <laughs> I, I, 
Well, that's why oh, I'm here to dumb it help. down so that you last a little bit longer than just with Zach. That's, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot. That's what she said in there, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. So let, let's let's take this a little further. Then, um, Alan wants to automate away entry level like sock type roles. And I'm sure all of you guys, you know, Shelby, Zach, everyone else in the C-level, you guys are all on board with that because obviously the, the more you can automate, the, the faster things will get done, the more you know things are getting done like perfectly because there's, there's that lack of human error. But don't you have to have some type of uh, audit in place? Like you know, it's it's just like backing up. You know, you don't want to set up backups and then, you know, wait for a server to crash three years later to realize that your backups aren't recoverable. No, so, you, you can't completely eliminate the humans, but a lot of what they do all day, you know, as they're as they're just you know looking over incidents and and just you just as part of kind of doing their job, it's it's like those checklist kind of things where it's you know is this set up, is this configured, check you know. There's, there's a whole list of things that you go through. Um, a lot of that can be done uh, a little more automatically. Um, and like, you know, kind of like Shelby mentioned, um, so it can be much, much faster. Um, and we're also not forgetting anything. Uh, so I don't, so I can kind of, so for the things that I can't automate the way where I really need, you know, somebody to, you know, spend some time actually like thinking and working and it's not something that I can sort of algorithmically do for you um that frees him up to do more of you know do that uh instead of spending so much of his time um really doing just kind of grunt work and even with um, automation of course we we still do spot checking to to make sure that that's the automation is working well another yeah. downside of automation is also it's also a great way to screw up a whole lot of things with breathtaking <laughs> efficiency um <laughs> So <laughs> didn't, uh, didn't Amazon do that to us a couple years ago? I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. All right. So let's, let's talk about, um, a, a day in the life of, of an Aero CMS employee team member, whatever you want to be known as what, what's, what's a typical day look like for you guys? I'm going to have to say right ahead of time, that's going to be a hard one for me because um, <laughs> uh, right after starting, uh, I got through into something that is really a lot of, it's really not our focus. Um, it's a lot of like hardcore network engineering for a oh, fun. client of ours. Um, <laughs> so if I was to tell you right now what I've been doing for like the last, you know, month, month and a half, um, it's nothing that we've been talking about um, so far. <laughs> So far, or very, very little of it. Um, it's just traditional network engineering, but caveat there. Yeah, I, I mean, we all we're a small company, so we still wear lots of different hats, and it really depends on the the particular clients we're working with at that point. Um, you know, what project work we got going on, and then there's also the day to day things, and then the things in Zach and my case that are specific to our c-level positions as well that never go away of course um so meetings so many meetings <laughs> oh. 
So how 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 many meetings would you say you guys have in a week? Internal meeting. Well, part Staff. of my job as CTO is to attend the meetings that would be a waste of time for Shelby to attend. <laughs> so I'm the guy who's constantly doing the the vendor meetings and the sales pitches and researching new products and talking to their sales engineers and like sifting through all of that. Um, I also do the sort of account management type meetings where like this is the state of like your current you know services and like what we've done and like what what's going on and the sock has kind of done this and that and the other thing and like this is what we're seeing and this is what it means you know just like just tons of like client relationship stuff uh, i'm way less into the engineering than i used to be and alan's kind of taken over the senior engineering role in that sense and which is great I'm, because all of those things that uh, that he just mentioned um, my eyes glaze over immediately. Uh, so I'm like, yes, please dump all the nerd stuff on me and keep me, keep me out of all that. Thank you. And he does yeah. a great job of that. And I'm happy to do his nerd stuff. For me, the, the type I, I'm in a lot of meetings as well. Only um, we try and I try and stay out of a lot of the lower level meetings with customers. I do, uh, you know, our bigger customers and, and especially if they need a, a security, like a VC. So type um, overview or that kind of thing. Um, I fill in in those roles. Um, and then of course there's the day to day running the company stuff and then lots mm-hmm. and lots of contract stuff. I, I get stuck with most of the the lawyer interactions and, and contracting and, and that horrible stuff that, that nobody wants to do. So do you have a lot of lawyer interactions? Uh, not in not in a, a bad sense. Although you could say that any interaction with a lawyer is a bad is a bad day. But um, we try to make sure that our contracts are pretty bulletproof and and re- we get them reviewed by lawyers and stuff just to be safe. And you know, of course, any company, especially our size, we can't do everything internally. So some of our stuff involves working with partners and subcontractors and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. You would uh, you'd be surprised at some of the things that come in in contracts that you you get from a subcontractor or stuff that apparently most people just blindly sign their you know rights away and that kind of stuff, um, or the contract doesn't really cover all the important things, and so we just like to make sure that again we have all our our eyes dotted and our t's crossed just to make sure that if things ever do go badly, that we're prepared, um, and in this industry things are almost guaranteed to go badly eventually because at some point, no matter how well you lock down an environment, somebody's going to break into one of them. And when that customer gets completely screwed and is in financial ruin, they're going to start throwing grenades, legal grenades everywhere to try and recoup losses. And so they're going to say, well, it's, it's our IT vendor's fault and it's their suppliers. And, and so it's good to prepare for that if you're in this mm-hmm. line of business more than, than most industries. If you yeah. look at the news, you'll see that there's been a whole bunch of banks that have been knocked over in the last several years, and almost invariably they go back and sue their IT vendor when that happens. So it's good to be prepared. Yeah, so and how many banks this, would you pay for it? <laughs> the right like now. the biggest piece of advice I could give you if to any MSP going into the security space is it's not if you get sued, it's a matter of when. You will get sued. It doesn't matter how much your client loves you, how much, how awesome they think you are. Their insurance company 
will get involved eventually, and the insurance company has absolutely zero problem suing you. And they will. Almost as a default response to anything bad. They had to do a payout. Um, They need to recoup that. And like, guess what? They're going to try and blame anyone and everyone in a general area to try and recoup their losses. And half of their payroll is lawyers anyways, so they're just sitting around waiting for something to do. So, um, Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I would imagine that scares a lot of new MSPs. Especially I wish it scared to... more of them. <laughs> yeah, it should. Just yeah, not, you know... not from... Sorry, uh, not from a, like a, a commercial... Um, point of view but just from i think a lot of we, we we all see the reddit posts of hey i just started an msp and i've got all these contracts and what what do you i mean all these this work and what do you mean contracts and, and reviews so and and i gotta say uh with with the landscape here here in america anyway i, I can't you know speak to what happens in other countries but here in america we just love to sue so I I would say that any MSP should at the very least have a contract that a lawyer reviewed, not just one that they Google searched and or or just kind of hodgepodge together themselves, which is even worse than a Google search one cuz <laughs> you're not a lawyer, you shouldn't be making your own contract. Um but but next I would say that uh any MSP you you should be getting yourself some insurance. You know, you should have a a business, uh, you know, depending on the size of your, your business, it might just be called a, uh, business owners policies, a BOP, uh, which basically covers the liability as well as the, um, uh, why can't I think of the term? I, I have it. I just never need to use it. So I always forget what this crap's called, you know? Uh, not the liability, the one where when you when you screw something up, E and O policy, error and omissions. Yes, policy. errors and omissions. Yes. So you need both. You need the errors and omissions that that covers from when you know you you log into someone's server, you reboot it, and you know blue screen of death. It's all your fault, and they lose you know tens of thousands of dollars because of your screw up. Uh, liability is more like uh, you're, you're working on a server, you, you string a, uh, an ethernet cable across the floor, somebody trips, they sue you. And then, uh, there's, you know, there's now cybersecurity insurance, which everyone really should have too, because, you know, if anyone will gladly, if they get hacked, sue everyone in the world, uh, yeah. any, anyone. And, and let's face it, you know, your, your customers, even you guys as security conscious as you are you guys are not like infallible when it comes to customers getting hacked. Mm-hmm. The only thing that differentiates, no, you can't <laughs> unless you unplug them from the, from the network. Uh, but the, uh, the, the edge that you guys have, in my opinion, is not that, you know, your, your customers are unable to get hacked. I think the edge is that you guys have the sock, the SIM and, and, you know, the log aggregation and all this stuff. So that way you can see exactly when it happened, what happened, how it happened. And you can, you know, do whatever it takes to undo the screw up uh, and patch the hole. And 
you know, sometimes there there might be some additional liability there when it comes to, you know, HIPAA or, or you know, needing to to report to customers or, or agencies or whatever, right? But but you guys at least have the ability to see exactly what happened. Whereas your typical MSP, if they don't have a SOC SIM type solution like Perch or these other solutions that are out there, um, this isn't like paid for by Perch. It's just the first one that came to mind. Um, you like Perch. And I mean, it, like just to have that, expand on that point, just to expand on that point a little bit, there are any number of like vendors out there that will give you a sock and a SIM and like this, that, and the other thing. But that's, that's only one part of that journey. Just having a sock collecting logs into a SIM like is not the end of the game. Um, there's a whole specialized skill set that goes into like, okay, I have a SIM now. What logs do I need to collect? And why what do I need to collect them? You know, what correlations need to be done on those things? What context needs to be enriched into that data set to give you actionable and meaningful alerts? You know, there's mm-hmm. so much more that goes into it than just, mm-hmm. okay, I bought Perch. Now what? Right. Yeah, that, that, that's an unfortunate thing when I see it because uh, there's a there's a lot of companies out there that I just kind of call them box checkers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just for compliance reasons. It's like, well, you need to, you know, you need to have, you know, log aggregation. Oh, okay, we did that check without sort of understanding the the spirit of the regulation or the law. Um, and it's okay. Yeah, there's actionable stuff you can do with this. And, um, and instead of it just being that. purely a forensic tool that you know you, you look at afterwards or something. Yeah. And related to that, at every company size, all the way up to the, you know, the Fortune 10 companies, there's a lot of siloing that tends to happen between that so-called red team and blue team. So a lot of times the people who are running the socks and doing the rules and, and building the correlations to try and catch the bad guys don't really understand what the bad guys are doing. Or if they do, it's they understand what the bad, the bad guys were doing five years ago. And so if you don't have someone who is staying current with that kind of stuff, ideally someone who's doing that kind of work on a semi-regular basis, your SIM rules and correlations and the type of information you're thinking to grab is probably not adequate in, in my opinion. And so I think that's one thing that we bring to the table that a lot of companies don't, especially the smaller companies that do, you know, SOC SIM solutions. So Zach, earlier today, I don't want to I don't want to drop a name because I don't want anyone to feel like they've been thrown under a bus. But earlier today, you and I spoke about somebody that you've been kind of helping get onboarded with a sock sim. Mm, and yes. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. So walk me through like. I, I think we need some background here. So this is a person that uh, in the past was was maybe not as security focused. And and I don't think it was. I, I don't think it was like to be malicious or to be more profitable or anything like that. I think it was just uh, a lack of understanding mm-hmm. of why they need to have all of these extra things in place. So would you would not consider them a box checker by just going out not anymore 
Because, like, to not name names, this person had selected a solution stack, um, evaluated it and tested it and found it sufficient, and then (laughs) supplied that solution stack to their clients and then sold it as complete and comprehensive security. Correct. Which it was and, not. And if we and if we think about the solution stack, I mean, um, I know it was it was heavily reliant on like Sophos, uh, so Sophos hardware, Sophos software, and then I'm sure there was some DNS filtering through either Cisco or DNS filter, and there might have been a few other things in there as well. But like those were the main components, and that's what a lot of MSPs are still doing is here's some antivirus, here's some DNS filtering. That's all we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, we, uh, we run into that a lot. A lot of our clients, the reason they, they hire us is because they see a bunch of buzz, buzzwords like SOC, SIM and AV and EDR and stuff like that. And they don't know what that means. And we don't necessarily expect them to know what that means. That's why we're there to help explain that to them and help them find an adequate solution. What's unfortunate is a lot of the MSPs in the space also don't really know what that means, and they're just there to say, what's the minimum I can get away with to technically maybe meet this requirement and play dumb if, it, if it's a problem later? Uh, because it's cheap, and they're, they they got to make money. And so unfortunately, we end up running into these situations all the time where customers we have think they had a good solution and they really don't. Or we're bidding against somebody who says, "Yeah, we're doing all the things that are required," but you go look at their bid, and it's just not—it's—it's it's not adequate. It's—it's—it's it's, it's not even minimal what they need to be at all remotely protected. So, so let's dive back in, Zach. So, so we know that they had a solution stack; it was inadequate, and you—you you started to say something, and I—I I cut you off. I'm sorry. Well, like. It was a a journey of understanding because they thought that this person thought that their solution stack was was perfect. And there was a demonstration I did in some of your other content (laughs) where I pretty thoroughly showed the deficiencies of that solution stack. And was was this the one where um you showed members of at the time it was MSP webinars. Now it's rocket MSP. You showed uh, members. Here is how um, something is able to get past like Sophos AV. And here's how it's getting past. Here's why it's getting past. Yeah. I think I actually know exactly which time I know what you must've showed them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I should be sobering too. (laughs) So I, I'm going to ask uh, you, Alan will laugh. Shelby, do you know the demo he's talking about? Yes, I'm familiar. Okay, uh, Shelby, help me engineer that. <laughs> Shelby, I want you to explain the demo because if Zach does it, everyone won't get it. No, I'll, I'll, I will. I'm going to defer to Zach because I, I helped him put together some of the stuff, but I didn't actually see the thing. I have to admit, I was I was busy with something else. That's um, fair. Okay. But I, it, I, I just want to make clear that we don't necessarily have something against Sophos either. Uh, oh no, 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 I love Sophos no, no. as a company. No, we, yeah, we all. Yeah. I, th- I think we can all agree that Sophos is a fantastic company. They have fantastic products. It's yeah. just, it's, it is clear that one security product is not all 
an enterprise needs. No, it's exactly. not a panacea. It's, not it's just not. It's got to happen. Right. Yeah. It's, and like, it's not. We're, we're picking on Sophos right now because that's what we used in that demonstration and because that's what we had available and we crafted something to bypass it. But I guarantee you that any security prevention product out there will have bypasses. It's just a matter of time. If we'd have picked <laughs> Bitdefender or AVG or whoever, like we would have found something and done a similar demo. Um, and, and let's also be uh equally transparent that we're not going to name names but there are other security solutions that wouldn't even do as great of a job as sophos does fair yeah i mean fair? if you look at every month every av vendor has cves almost every month for like mm -hmm. major exploits like not just this got bypassed but there's a you know actual security flaws in the av vendor's software itself um, so right. no, but no software is perfect, and and given enough complication, enough time, someone's going to find a way around it if if there's money to be made doing it. Mm -hmm. I don't think any software will ever be perfect. No. Yeah, we're not slagging on Sophos. It's just that you know it. We're just kind of I think sort of cautioning against you know um, this and this alone is sufficient. Yeah, okay. you know, still we're good. Oh. It's just that that's not true of anyone, Sophos included. So I'll, I'll put a little bow on this. Um, we even would go as far as to say, I mean, I still recommend Sophos. And we would too. You guys do too. Yeah. So let's put a little bow on it. We all love Sophos. It was just that you were able <laughs> to show an exploit that something was able to bypass Sophos because it wasn't technically a virus. It was, it was something else. So Zach, why don't you... Why don't you walk us through this? Dumb it, dumb it down, please. Well, that p particular exploit or the concept of living off the land? That Shelby might be able to explain living off the land a little bit better. All right, I'll, I'll start just to, as a general concept. So okay. attackers do this thing called living off the land. Um, more and more as AVs get better and better because in spite of all the doom and gloom, they are typically getting better over time. And so what attackers look to do is use the tools that are already on the, on the box that we want to exploit. We're going to look for tools that Microsoft has put in Windows if we're attacking a Windows system or Mac OS has put in their operating system and say, how can we take this genuine tool and abuse it to do something malicious on our behalf? Um, and so there are many such examples of tools, especially in Microsoft, uh, that can be used for both good and evil. Um, and because they exist in, in the operating system already, and they were written by Microsoft, they're not inherently evil. So a AV isn't going to block it. If it's going to do anything, it's going to look for specific behaviors from that application and try and block those as malicious. Uh, but that's, there's, that's hard to do completely and, and catch all permutations of, of using that tool and figure out what's good and what's bad. And in some cases, what looks bad to, say, an accountant user, like that accountant should never be executing code on that machine with, say, MS Build, which is a common tool that's used. Um, a, a developer might be using that tool very legitimately to execute code on their box. So again, it becomes very difficult for an AV, especially with default policies, to find and block this stuff when it happens. Right. So with that, Zach, if you want to lead into your example. Well, in the, the 
the demonstration I had done, if you recall, we used something called WMI uh, to pull what was essentially a text file from the internet, right? And I utilized WMI in a way that it was designed to be used. Um, I pulled in a formatting file uh, in a way that it, you know WMI was designed specifically to do, so that you could perform WMI queries uh, and then format the results in a way that you want. And you can do that with a remote formatting file that tells it how to just you know format its output. Well, in this case, those formatting files can run JavaScript, uh, and that's by design. There are specific design um, reasons for allowing it to do that, and the fact that it, it was able to do that is something that can be abused. In this case, we abused that to inject a binary directly into memory, and this would and be that fileless attack that you know the marketing buzzwords like to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, and in particular, it's using an engine in Windows called JScript, which is a very archaic form of JavaScript that Microsoft invented years ago uh, that still exists in their uh, operating system. Uh, and even on Windows 10. Even Windows 10, although they're, they're working to phase it out. It's just there's so much old software that still needs to work. Uh, but it allows things that modern JavaScript would never allow, uh, the ability to include in this case, arbitrary code effectively and, and get it to execute. Um, and uh, uh, to name check uh, uh, somebody in the, the security space uh, that, that found this, there's a guy named Sub-T. I mm -hmm. believe he's with Red Canary now, but if not, Red Canary does, they have a great list of all these type of attacks and tools to help you test for them out there. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a known attack. It's been known for a while, but because... Again, it's fairly legitimate functionality that we're abusing. It's hard for AVs to detect it. Some of them will. Uh, Sophos at the time, at least, did not. And I think so, it does now. That uh, I haven't done it in a while, but I think uh, we would have to re-engineer that demonstration if we would ever do it again, because I think it does detect it now. And at the time, you were just using the Sophos intercept x advanced correct i actually had advanced edr beta when i did that okay so so talk to me about what did the edr portion of that do anything in addition with you know in, in, in regards to like logging at least yes and that was a point that we didn't really get to dive deep into on that demonstration is that while Sophos did not stop it from doing what it did, it did log that it happened. So um, in their EDR console, you could run a query that would say, give me all command line invo invocation of the WMIC command. Right? And then it would pull all of that activity from every endpoint in an, your entire estate and put it all in front of you. And Wimic is probably run very rarely. Most RMMs these days are doing it with like PowerShell or something like mm -hmm. that. So like then you're like, okay, like I've pulled all the Wimic commands. 
what Wimmick commands are being run, what's being passed to them, why, you know, what's find the ones that are odd. And then like a second correlation element that you could add to that is I want to see all Wimmick commands that use this parameter and are opening a network connection. Why is Wimmick opening a network connection? It really shouldn't. Like at least ever. to the internet. Yeah, at least to the internet. Um you know, if it talks to like your your monitoring server or if it's talking to your RMM, your RMM probably has a static number of IP addresses that it talks to. So like you further refine that query. So like I want to see all command line invocation of the WMIC command that talks to the internet but isn't these IPs. Right? You just narrow your focus until you find the oddities, the weird things. And like at its core as a concept, that's the idea behind threat hunting. Is mm-hmm. like I know these various techniques and this is what these techniques if they were used would kind of look like. These are the things that would happen. So I'm going to start searching for those types of events and am examine them directly. And I think that really demonstrates the difference between an EDR solution, an AV solution, and a good SOC sim with correlation in an environment that's properly subdivided and categorized. Uh, because an EDR solution needs to work across 100,000 different environments for a million different customers and it needs to do that in a way that doesn't break normal people's workflows. Whereas a SOC SIM solution is tailored to that customer's environment. You need to have things carefully classified. You need to know what the difference between a developer's machine is and an accountant's machine or a CEO's machine. And by doing that, that allows you to, to then have these type of correlations for, you know, I should never see Wimmick call out to the internet from a CEO machine. He should never be running this kind of stuff. A developer and a developer network, maybe. Um, but that's the thing an EDR has a hard time doing when it's trying to do generic protection for everyone. And this is oh. where like all those CIS controls come into, like why you should have an accurate inventory, right? You need to know how many machines you have, what they are, where they are, and who uses them, and what the context of the people using them is, right? Uh, a sysadmin might run a lot of PowerShell. A finance person should never be running PowerShell, you know? So, like, you want to find the things that are odd. And, like, all of that is context-driven. And context can't easily be automated. It requires human input and and discovery, right? The correlation, to a certain degree, can be automated. But, like, going out and getting that context and understanding the client environment, understanding who's using what, why, when, where, and how, like, you have to, like, go out and do that. That requires constant meetings, constant feedback, constant communication, because that, that's ever-evolving, right? So, what would you say to maybe a person that's starting an MSP, or maybe they're already running an MSP, but they're still not very security focused. What would you say to them? Let's just stop the sentence there. What would you say to them? You need to go to school on this. Like, this is very, very complicated stuff and takes years of experience to understand and implement. This is not something you're going to just figure out from, well, 
a one hour webinar, right? Like yeah. you, you're going to have to like go learn this stuff, like actually learn it and understand and, but the, it. But the, the problem is if you say, well, you just need to go learn about this stuff. That's not enough because what, what really needs to happen is, you, you know, that they, they, they want to start now, mm. right? Like they don't, they don't want to wait. They don't, you know, they're, they're either about to start their MSP or maybe they've been running one for 10 years and they just did not keep up with the times. So like, what do you say to that guy who hasn't kept up with the times? Because obviously they need to make a nothing I can say. Like, that's like saying I want to be a doctor and I don't want to bother with medical school. Like, it's just not how it works. That's not reality. I guess maybe more actionable advice, if I could, if I could say anything to to this MSP that's calling themselves an MSSP, is understand what you are offering and make sure that you're using the proper language and describing it properly to your clients. If you're not offering a full MSSP solution with a proper SOC sim with correlation and proper management, that's fine. Just don't call it what it's not because it opens you up to liability. It misinforms your client. And at the end of the day, your client is paying you to be the expert in the room on this stuff because they don't understand it usually. And so it's not fair for you to pretend to be that expert when you don't understand it yourself. Sure. And, and I just want to clarify, I don't mean um, somebody that's, that's saying they're doing something and they're not doing it. I'm more or less, I, and I, I think I'm asking it the wrong way is the problem. What, what do you say to the MSP? who just hasn't kept up with the times and they suddenly realize, holy shit, I am so behind on security. I'm still running server 2008 at most of my clients because I just have not continued my own education, even though that's in my sales pitch that I give to them as to why they should hire an MSP, you know, like what, what, what do you tell them? And, and I'm even looking for, Let's think outside the box. Let's find a way, because I'm not saying they should start being an MSSP, mm. but there, there is, as an MSP, there is still a responsibility to keep your clients secure. Do, do you as an MSP need to be running a SOC sim with you know, all this crazy stuff that you guys are doing? Probably not. But I, I think that MSP is eventually going to get there. So, so what do MSPs that, that suddenly realize they need to upgrade, not because they're trying to take it to the next level and beat the competition, but they just need to keep up with the competition. What do you say to those guys? What, what can they do short of go do a bunch of training and learning? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to you need to have the expertise. So if you don't have it and don't have the time to do it, then you need to hire somebody in your team who can advise you and help get you to that level. Uh, The other thing, kind of pulling it full circle, it's really important, again, to have proper contracting. One of the things that we put in all our contracting is if you have systems that are not patched and can't be patched and kept up to the date because they're not supported, we reserve the right to refuse to support those and and either you have to upgrade them or we just won't support them because we're not going to be held liable if an attacker gets in by exploiting that because it can't be patched. Like and so that. making sure you set those expectations with your customers helps put you in a better place because you're no longer stuck supporting that server 2003 that the customer just refuses to fix. 
So, um, sorry, updating my notes so I know where we're at when I look at this potentially hours long conversation. <laughs> I'm away. Um, all right. So, uh, what about outsourcing? Is it okay for an MSP to outsource some of these security services? Does that does that open up some security implications? It uh, yes and yes. Um, it's of course okay to outsource stuff. Everybody has to do that at the end of the day. One of the things that an MSP does is takes a bunch of different technologies and vendors and and handles and manages that for their customers uh, because right. the customer doesn't have the time or knowledge to do that. But if you're wrangling all those vendors and all that technology, you still need to be fairly well versed in that stuff so that you can look over that subcontractor's shoulder and make sure that they're bringing the quality and 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 security to the client that their client should frankly expect from you. Okay. So, do you have any MSPs that are like I I know we're we're not there. So can we just outsource the the high level security stuff to you guys? We we partner with other companies that you know we we share the load. So there's some things that they do better than us, and some things we do better than them. And uh, especially we we bring our MSSP solution to a lot of MSP vendors that don't feel capable or or ready to offer those things themselves. And that that is one possible solution. Um, and we're happy to do that, of course. Uh, but again, I, I highly recommend that if you're in that position, even if you don't want to offer those solutions or be in charge of staying on top of that stuff from a day to day, you still should work on understanding it at at least a high enough level to to be guaranteeing that quality to your customer. So where can they go to start learning this stuff? That I mean, there are a lot. Of, there are a lot of a lot of well, different ways you can go. Of course, sure. Uh, I'm not I sure. Guess. It's like it sounds like he's wanting something like like straight, simply actionable. I'm just trying to think of. Yeah, well, and I guess like where do you if, start? If you're, saying, if you're saying that you know you, you should at least have some basic knowledge, so that way, if you're outsourcing this, you can make sure they don't suck. Yeah, how do you go get where? Them? Where do we get the basic knowledge? Where's Where's the security one on one? Places like Cybrary IT, like Cybrary IT, is a, an online learning platform. Can you um, spell that? Yes. It's like it's like library, like, but it's like cyber, yeah, it's like cybrary, like cybrary, like cybrary dot it. Um, they have a bunch of courses on like various security and IT topics. Mostly security, but things like like network engineering and um like technology type stuff, strategy stuff, some v- some CISO stuff. Um but they have like uh learning tracks. Uh oh see so you found here. it. There, there you yeah. go. Yeah. And it's what is it, Alan? It's like a hundred bucks a month. 50 bucks a month, something like that. There's a pricing page somewhere there. It's not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like 50 50 a month and they have learning tracks. Like if you go to scroll to the top there, you can see their course catalog. I did see they had one specifically for like cybersecurity. Yeah. 
So ethical hacking, yeah, SOC, digital forensics. Yeah, those are learning so tracks they have where you can, like, you start with, like, security fundamentals and then, like, pick a track. And, like, they have a track for, like, security engineering, incident response, um, you know, and they have, like, beginner, in, intermediate, and advanced levels of um, courses. And um, the SOC analyst track is uh, probably a good starting point. And a lot of these are like live classes as well as recorded classes with lab content. So if you look at some of these classes, like they get pretty deep into the weeds where like you're doing like packet analysis with Wireshark, um, you're, you know, writing log correlation, you're, you're doing all kinds of like really hands-on stuff. And for 50 yeah. bucks a month, uh, you can cram in a lot of education into like what's going on here and they you know that the, they have the, their whole program is designed to take somebody who's like not even it start them from nothing and make them a, a security professional um, so just out of curiosity like so if you went to cyberary paid your 50 bucks a month i see they've got th- close to 31 hours of cisco ccna content would would you say that it's possible for somebody to go through this content and then having having no Cisco background, but maybe be IT competent, right? W- would you say it's possible for someone to go through this 31-ish hours of content and then pass the CCNA? Yeah. I would, yeah. If you're motivated. If you have absolutely no experience at all, they have an A+. Plus. And then a net plus, and then like a couple of a couple of fundamentals classes that you could take, and then step into the CCNA and probably pass it. Also, That's if awesome. if you want to be a, a blue team guy, it's I think it's important to to understand who the bad guy is and like what their their mentality is and and how they attack things. Uh, and one way to do that potentially is to go look at getting your OS, OSCP uh, certification which comes with training and it's fairly cheap. Uh, and that will give you at least a good old, rough understanding of what a pen tester does. Um, I would also say that if you don't really understand that stuff at all, and you're offering these type of services, maybe you should pay for a good pen testing company to come in and audit your systems. Uh, a, cause that'll give you some peace of mind if, you, if you're doing it well or not. And two, by seeing what they attacked and what they found and how they attacked it, that will also, again, help you think in terms of what do I need to be more aware of? What areas am I not really thinking about? All right, very and adversarial clar- mindset stuff. And I just want to clarify, because I, I did not catch it if you said it. OSCP is Offensive Security certifi- Certified Person. Professional. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's a mouthful it's but yes i like um, my version better Zach. and it, it but uh yeah they they they're one of the cheaper courses that are out there and simultaneously one of the most more comprehensive ones in my opinion and it's got and a lot of most difficult training. it's no joke that that exam is mm. no joke so uh since we're on the topic of exams how many certifications do you guys have? Let's start with uh, let's start with Alan. That way, he doesn't have to like follow Zach. <laughs> Just assume Zach's. <laughs> I think it would be easier to list the certifications like we have as an organization. 
which really? I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'll be for, I'll I'll be qu- quite frank with you. I don't have that many. I have a GXPN and a GPN from from uh, GIAC, which are uh, uh, security ones. Uh, but since the then, GIAC I've been working... is like just as a for reference, the the Sands Institute basically oversees the GIAC certs, and like they're considered like the industry de facto standard for hmm. for security stuff. They're also um, the most least... expensive and hardest mm-hmm. to get. I wouldn't say they're the hardest to get, but they're definitely the most expensive. Uh, since then, I've been working in industry ever since then, and certificates become less meaningful the more you know you've been doing it for a while so i haven't really kept some of my sorts i i have felt the exact same way like you know i i got my my novell cna for netware 5 back in junior year of high school i got my a plus in senior year i failed the cisco ccna miserably uh i was a uh I was a master CNE at uh, 19, and Novell also had a, uh, a directory services uh, certification. So at one time, did you know that Netscape had a directory service? At one time, I did not. Com- uh, that, you, that competed with Active Directory and eDirectory. Yes, they did. You said Net- like Netscape, the, the web browser? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, they yep. actually had a directory service, and I used to know a lot about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, so, like, I mean... Early on in my career, um, so mine uh, for, uh, it's kind of the same thing. I, I, what do I, st- I don't even know what I still have anymore. Probably the A+, plus because I think when I took it, it was a lifetime cert. So I think I can yeah. technically say I still have mine. Yeah, um, I was. It was still. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, did, did that. Um, a lot of my career was spent um, doing uh, Cisco Voice. Uh, nice. So, yeah. So. Uh, just just their whole, you know, call manager unity, UCCX, UCCX, or uh, UCC enterprise, blah blah blah, all their voice stuff. Um, so um, CCNP voice when that was a thing, I think it's now called collaboration or something. I didn't renew it. Um, see like uh, NP like routing and switching. Um, haven't done them anymore. After a while, everybody just kind of stops caring. Um, so, so you were and maybe are still a big Cisco guy. Huh? You were and maybe still are a big Cisco guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, less of a focus on it now, um, but uh, for for a long time, yeah, heavy, 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 heavy Cisco, uh, especially. Uh, and for me, um, the voice part of it was really because um, it was kind of a big deal for a long time, and most network engineers hate voice. I don't know why. They absolutely despise it. Don't want to have anything to do with it. It bores that it bores them to tears. Um, and uh, so because of that, um, there weren't a lot of people that knew how to do it. And because there weren't a lot of people that knew how to do it, it paid really stinking well. Um, that's becoming less and less. So um, nowadays, um, the other thing that I, that I sort of love about it is because a lot of guys, um, a lot of network engineers and guys that come from that space uh, just have no interest because it bores them to tears. Um, a lot of security guys, uh, similarly know very, very little about it. Um, so there's, there's a lot uh, that when I would work on it and go, oh man, a, a, a mischievous individual could have a field day, uh, with the way that most voice networks are set up by default. Um, so, I, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun there. I'm curious, is Cisco, like, is it still relevant? And I'm not asking, are they a crappy company or anything like that? Like with all of the other 
network appliances and uh, unified communications and everything else, all these tools that are out there, like do people in much really larger companies than what your customers are probably going okay. to be? Um, yes. Okay. Carriers. Yeah, I think big companies. But even do. carriers are, are using more Juniper these days, right? Depends. Depends on it's okay. a, it's a blend. Yeah. But no, they're not, you know, they're not going away. Um, are you going to see, you know, a small business, 50 employees running, you know, like their own hosted PBX and a, and a stack of, you know, Nexus switches and think, no, <laughs> I know a guy. Unless <laughs> they're just nerds, man, and they, and they, they, they're really into it. You know, they don't mind paying the tax, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah but uh, less and less. So, um, when I, when I started, when I started down that road, like, you know, around, I don't know, 2001, 2002. Um, yeah, I'd have, you know, like uh, an insurance company with 100 employees. And it's like, yeah, their networking gear was all Cisco, you know. So I've got, I've got my, my one friend, a uh, really good buddy, Aaron. And he is a Cisco voice guy. And he works for, I don't even, I'm not going to tell you what company he works for. I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus today. But um, they do a lot for like hospitals and, uh, I want to say they do some like local and maybe even county uh, government municipality type stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, so for these like hospitals, like he's pretty much on call like a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, his company, I think maybe they merged or got acquired or something. And so now, I I don't know how I feel about this, but like they're using Salesforce for like ticketing and case management and all that type of stuff. Probably wouldn't choose that for ticketing. Yeah, probably <laughs> wouldn't either. Um, uh, but okay. But, but yeah, they're, they're managing their entire infrastructure. Well, I say Salesforce, but it's, it's force.com where they're able to yeah, customize. Sales, Salesforce does a lot more than just CRM now. Yeah. They have like a full ITSM platform. They're up there with the service now people. Yeah, but really like, why would you do that? So <laughs> can't be bothered. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like some of the things I see people using, uh, or, or hear of, of people using with, with all this Cisco voice stuff. And I wonder like at some point, will it make more sense for some of these, you know, big hospitals and whatever to switch off of Cisco voice to, Maybe not hosted PBX because I think that would cost them too much at you know twenty thirty bucks a seat, but but like an in house three CX or something like that. Um, you're probably going to find to the extent that mm, you'll have a lot of companies. It, it, it sort of depends on what their needs are and how much they how much they care. Um, okay. So obviously having having a full blown PBX um, is a very if, if you. Care. It's a very, very powerful thing. There are a lot of calling features and just things, things that you can do um, if you have people on staff that know how to do it um, that you're not going to find with just your normal hosted voice. Um, you can do some very, 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 very clever things um, that you may or may not care about. Um, like those uh, HIPAA faxes. Huh? <laughs> like those HIPAA fax lines oh god yeah it's great <laughs> um so like an example of that it's like a company a company that i worked at like here's an example of you know it's like do, do you care or not um 
So like at a company that I had worked at, again, with the automation, um, one of the first things that I, that I had started doing when, when looking, I was doing a lot of grunt work. So it's like, you know, you have an employee comes on. And this is a problem, by the way, even if you have um, a hosted phone system or you have a cloud provider or something, or maybe, maybe you're using Teams, you can actually use Teams as a, as a PBX and use it. You can, you can have physical phones hooked up to it and oh. calling plans and PS, you know, all that, um, which a lot of people might end up doing. Um, okay. But, but again, um, like in, in an environment with, you know, basically a communications manager, um, Cisco's IP PBX, um, you get a thing where in a big enough company, there might be 15 to 30 um, people that are either coming or going a day. So they need a phone, right? So somebody's got somebody's to send them a phone. This is like just grunt work that, you know, you're paying a guy 100 grand a year to sit there and go, okay, you know. Phone came in. Okay, what's a model of the phone? What's the MAC address? Okay, it's this. And it's like, all right, what locations? Yeah, what call search spaces? And what partition does this belong in? I mean, it takes like 10 minutes to sit there and just like go through all these menus of getting and the phone cool set up. How cool is that? That somebody's getting paid 100 grand a year to do this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, there's more to it than that. But because uh, you can, you can well, kind of sure. train, train a monkey to do this stuff. Um, but somebody had to like engineer sure. all that and make it all work. But again, that's the thing though. A lot of these. There's there's so many steps and so many different things to do um, that somebody like me goes, hey, this sucks. Like this is total grunt work. This is this is ridiculous. Um, does this product have an API that I can program against? Oh, look, it does. Sweet. How powerful is it? Oh my god, it's everything I could do in the web interface and then some. Oh, neato. Um, and I was I was just about to ask that. Are you are you able to automate? yourself out of a job with because of the Cisco. Oh yeah. 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 And, and I would say that mentality. So yes, it it does have all that. And it's a very, very, very powerful product. So any kind of weird call flow scenario you can think of, it can be done. Um, but it's a complicated, you know, it's it's a lot of complexity to it because of what it's capable of doing. Um, but it, but I would still take that mindset with me to, you know, like if, if I was using, uh, teams, uh, is my, you know, for my, for my, for my company. And I just like, okay, everybody uses teams or, uh, you, you can actually have physical phones, talk to teams, uh, through a, you know, you, you can have yeah, I'm you can do that. more and more people are, uh, you know, MSPs are loving teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, cool. I've got a, a colleague, he, I swear he must get like money. Microsoft must give him money every time he pops teams into the, to the Slack <laughs> chat. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, I know a lot of guys who are going all in with Microsoft, uh, you know, getting like Microsoft 365, not office 365, where they're getting like the, the E3 or the E5, whatever one comes with the, uh, the teams with the unified communications and the VoIP and the, because it seems like, um, what Microsoft is, is working on doing is making it so teams is is your hub for everything and and i I almost wonder if if they're going to try and like get rid of i wonder if they're going to try and get rid of outlook in some weird way you know what i mean like maybe maybe they'll integrate teams to be able to also see your email or like make a weird truly unified communication app for your windows computer that's what i mean I don't think they're going to try and like do away with Outlook, but for the people that are that are all in on E5 with phones and everything, 
I do wonder what's what's the goal here. What's what's the end game for Microsoft? Mm-hmm. Good because question. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you this: it's not to put us out of business because every time they add another line item, uh, it just becomes more and more confusing for the the companies. So they don't know what the heck to buy. And if they try and call Microsoft, they're going to get someone from you know India or Philippines or wherever that they can't understand, and it's going to become frustrating. And that's assuming they can get to somebody at all, because chances are they're going to get so pissed off and hang up before they even talk to a person, because thank you for calling Microsoft. Please say what you're wanting to do. Uh, yeah, I just want to talk to a person. Uh, it sounds like you need tech support. Is that right? No. Okay, transferring you to sales. What? Like, I hate those phone systems, by the way. Uh, every time every time I call into one of those things, I, I want to, like, set kittens on fire. And I just want to clarify, I love kittens. I have a cat. She's adorable. Um, I used to joke when people, would, like, at a barbecue would ask me what I did for a living when I was really into voice. They asked me what I did for a living, and I never like to say IT because it means that the next two hours is me talking about why your computer at home runs like crap or whatever. Um, <laughs> so I'd answer semi-honestly. Um, I'd say um, I'm the guy that uh, makes you press one for English. So that's yes. my job. And they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. See ya. Also, I hate you. I like that. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, just shut the conversation down right there. It was awesome. I'm um, the guy that makes you press one for English. I that's like me. That. That's right. Um, well, even at that, um, there's, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of little value add, um, you know, things that we can do. I already have it when I get some more time. I know that we have a lot of, uh, our own customers are more interested in, you know, teams and moving away from, uh, you know, hosted, you know, their own in-house PBXs or, you know, thinking about hosted things. So I'm starting to think, okay, well, what kind of value can we sort of add onto that? Um, and a lot of it is automation. I'll do it the same way that I did just with different APIs in and in maybe different languages. Um, uh, ways to make their life a lot easier. Um, the, uh, the last bigger company that I worked for, um, I had automated, um, like imagine this, you, you would literally take a phone out of the box, a Cisco phone out of the box, plug the thing in, it would turn on and you would, it would literally just say ready for setup on the display. You, this, this is all program. This is all custom. Like Cisco does not do this. You'd put the phone on speaker, pick the receiver up and it would ask you for an employee ID. You pop your employee ID in there. It would look, figure out what the IP address of the phone is. It knows what the IP address of the phone is, so it knows what location it's at, which means it knows what address it's at, which means it knows how to program it so that 911 works correctly. It would do text-to-speech, read that back to you, and say, are you at this location, 123 Main Street? Yes. It would read your employee back to you. Are you? Text-to-speech their name. You know, Alan Sterwinski. Yes. Boom. All right, cool. And it would program your phone, automatically assign you a number, and say, all right, hang up. And you would, and two minutes later, your phone would reboot and it'd be configured, have your name on it, completely programmed correctly. Everything's cool. You didn't do squat. I didn't do squat. Every time that happened, it was just a log, a log entry. So I just, I would just look. It's coming in the morning and it's like, oh, 30 people registered their phone. Sweet. I didn't do shit, you know. But you are the one that like wrote that whole thing, right? Yeah. Me, me and like two other guys. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But you get to take all the credit. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm I mean, talking not, to you, not to other guys. Yeah, yeah well, um, but my point being is that, like, that's a mindset that I have that you don't need a Cisco PBX. The, the whole reason that was possible was because it's like, hey, Cisco has a product that, ha- you know, that does, uh, that'll do IVR stuff for you, you know, like play prompts, accept input, do things. 
I'm like, okay, that's cool. So now I have like, you can use your phone as like sort of like your interface to this thing, you know, pressing buttons and doing I'm like, okay, that's cool. Uh, The PBX system, the voicemail, all that. There's APIs available. I didn't even know if there were. I literally Googled it. I'm like, call manager, API, Unity, API. Oh, look, Cisco has a developer site. Sweet. I don't know how to do any of it. Just look and it's like, okay, well, you know, what do they support? Okay, there's a REST API for this one. This one uses SOAP because they suck, whatever. Fine. Got it. Um, You can do stuff like that. And I would do the same with, you know, with Teams or, you know, whatever. It's a lot of just automating that grunt work away. That's kind of what I said earlier is the best way to get somebody like me to do that is to literally start giving me your, your, your drudgery. And, and gets- because somebody like me will just get it and go, I'll put a gun to my head. If this is what I'm doing for eight hours a day, this sucks. I'll kill myself. Screw it. So we're going to automate this away. And maybe I tell Zach that I'm doing it. Maybe I don't. Who knows? <laughs> He's like, your- wow, he can program a lot of stuff really quickly. Wow. Look at this guy fly. He knows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, you said you have a list of customers for Aero CMS that would would love to start looking in the teams. Yeah, and if you had time, you would help them do that. So uh, let's talk about how much time you have right now. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I last checked, you're not allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> no, kind of a... This whole quarantine thing has not really changed my life at all, really. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> you guys are all, you, you guys all work from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, that's because, I mean, that makes it easy. So, um, <laughs> uh, how do you get your groceries? Do you, do you have those delivered to you from Amazon? I, I literally have Kroger bringing me like 300 bucks worth of goodies like tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, that's hysterical. <laughs> now, have they notified you? The pickers the- are really good. They actually pick out like produce every bit as good as I do. They they actually yeah. do a better job than I do. Yeah, so which is insane. Know. Like I, I'm I also just married. Always- My wife will go out and do stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm married too. Like I think we're all we're all married, right? Yeah, you hate to you hate to quarantine the wife in a separate room for two uh, tweet, two weeks after she gets groceries. I mean, they get kind of cranky when you do that. But other than that, <laughs> uh, so uh, at the moment, um, not a lot of free time. We actually have a, a client that has been monopolizing a lot of my time. Uh, straight. Now is this the network client? Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. So and this is why I'm like, yeah, it, it's kind of hard. And I was kind of. Pretty much right as soon as I was hired, it was like okay, but first, uh, you know, keep your network, you know, keep your network engineering hat on for a little while longer if you don't mind, um, and knock this out. Um, The the blessing or curse of what we do is that so much of it can be and usually is done remotely. That uh, in many ways we're we're fortunate that the coronavirus type thing doesn't hit our industry as hard. Obviously it hits some of our customers and that affects their budgets and their ability to, to spend. But in terms of the short term, our workloads don't change a lot. Some things we can't do or we have to push out, but uh, yeah. we don't have a lot of free time because of it. <laughs> so I, I saw one guy who said um, most of his customers have laid off all of their employees because of this quarantine thing. And he said just just today he um, downgraded, decommissioned, whatever the word you want to use. Uh, but just today he shut down 
40 E3 licenses. And I mean, that's, that's gotta be scary when you've got a bunch of clients telling you. It really does kind of depend on who your clients are. I mean, if you're, you know, uh, if you're an MSP that, you know, most of your clients are, for example, like restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, ouch, right. You know, yeah, they're not doing nothing. Yeah. It's hard. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, so it really depends who your clients. I mean, obviously, you know, if they lose their customers, I mean, what are they going to pay you with? Right. So, so the interesting, uh, you said restaurants, I mean, Chipotle, I just got a, an order of three tacos yesterday. <laughs> uh, and, and like, you know, I went there and, uh, someone was leaving when I arrived and as I'm leaving, somebody arrived, like they had a constant flow of like one or two people coming and going. Um, I have no idea. Like what it was that kind of thing, yeah. yeah. Cause they're, everything's to go. So yeah. most people are like calling in or, uh, placing the orders over the app or over the internet. Uh, but you could go in and just like have them make you something. You just can't eat it there. You gotta get, get the hell out. Like, mm-hmm. but at the same time, like there's a restaurant that, that me and some buddies love to go to, uh, we'll go on a Tuesday or a Wednesday where the wings are on sale. Well, I, I called them, I think it was last week or the week before I said, Hey, so, uh, it's Steve. I normally come in and. You know, we, we order, you know, 80 wings in between all of us. So, uh, I know it's to go only. So can I place an order to go for, for the wings? Like, yeah, but because it's a to go order and it's not for here, you're not allowed to get the wing special. And I'm like, well, I mean, you, you know, it has to be to go, right? Like (laughs) this isn't one of those, I'm trying to sneak around your policy type things. Like, yeah, I know we're apparently not doing any of the specials. I'm like, all right, well, I'm apparently not getting any wings today. So, some companies, for obvious reasons, will fare better than others during this crisis. Yeah. And <laughs> the, so, the, more, the more creative among them may, may have a fight in chance. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, it depends who your customers are, you know. Um, so um, we're, I guess, a little bit fortunate. And then if we do feel it, it won't be, you know, it's not as immediate. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so that's probably not really your department, uh, Shelby. It's probably not even your department. But I'll ask you: like, have you guys? I'm had, sure, he's thought about it. <laughs> well, I, I guess where I'm, what I'm saying is, you know, they are blessed. You guys, they, you guys are blessed to have, you know, a CFO. So they're the ones that are looking at the the numbers. And I know you guys are probably up when it comes to projects thanks to people realizing they're going to have to start quarantining. Mm -hmm. But are you down when it comes to MRR? And this might be more on the MSP side. Uh, So far it's been pretty stable. I mean, it's down a little bit. Um, uh, Obviously if if they don't have money, they don't have money. And, and we're at the end of the day, when the rubber meets the road, we're non-essential in the sense that if they don't pay us for a month, the, the sky probably isn't going to fall. But obviously, kev- keeping your network up and running, especially if your workers are working from home, um, and also the fact that the attackers never stop attacking you, that stuff is important over you know several months or a year. So thus far, most of our customers haven't 
haven't stopped paying us. Um, I think I attribute part of that to the fact that this side of the country where a lot of our customers are haven't, it hasn't been hit quite as hard yet. But also, we try and really grow that relationship with our customers and explain to them why we're selling them what we do and, and explaining on a regular basis what we're doing and why it's important. Uh, and thus far, I think that's been really valuable, especially in times like this. This uh, isn't something we just started doing. Yeah. To clarify, yeah. this is like just how we are. You know, yeah, we love us. And also, again, contracts are, are good. Obviously, we're not going to be horrible and heartless if somebody can't pay. But it is important to have contracts that say, you know, you know, when you sign this agreement for three, three, 36 months or whatever for a product that you know we got to pay for for 36 months, whether you're paying us or not, that you're also in on on the hook for that for for you know 36 months or whatever the case may be, just to protect so, yourself. So, talk to me about that. So, I know you guys have contracts. Everyone, we'll we'll just assume everyone has contracts, right? So, let's say a client comes to you and says, "Hey, you know, Shelby." I I know we've got this contract, but this COVID nineteen thing has has crippled us. You know, we don't have any income, mm. and we had to we had to lay off all of our staff. You know, thankfully, whatever with unemployment is happening, so they'll be taken care of. But I need some relief. I need some help. I'm not saying I want to break the contract, but maybe I'm saying I I can't do all of this until we're back up and running what what's your response going to be to that we've uh, we've been talking about that internally and, and working on that um our general goal is you know the stuff that we can the costs that we can defray up front you know things that we can just turn off and stuff we're going to work with them if it's not mission critical you know to 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 take those off the plate temporarily you know, we're 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 already planning to suspend late fees to to the extent that's reasonable, uh, because for clients that you know need maybe need to float a month or two. Um, so in in short, we want to work with our customers because at the end of the day, if we force them to pay uh, and and squeeze them, that's not good for them. It's not good for us long term. It's not going to help word of mouth. It's not going to make them want to come back to us. So whenever possible, we want to 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 work with them in those situations. Of course, we've got bills to pay too, um, and a lot of times those underlying costs don't go away if the client can't pay us. Um, so it's it's still it's still a one on one thing that we've been we've been trying to do to to help our customers out in those situations. We, um, but yeah, it, it's hard all over, obviously, and we we don't want to make things worse for our customers. We're there to to make their life easier and better, not make it harder for them. So, so. With with this, it's more of a case by case type of thing that you'll you'll have that conversation as it comes. Yeah, and because uh, at the end of the day, it's not like we do have packages that we sell, but a lot, almost in every case, there's some customization happening. There's some things sure. that each customer needs, and so we can't. It's hard to have a blanket policy that says this is stuff that we'll waive or write off for now. And also, you know, if they can pay, we we would like them to, obviously. <laughs> So, well, right. It's it's not like you're going to go out to your customers and proactively say, hey, guys, I just assume you're all suffering. So we're going to cut your bill in half. Yeah. Like that would be foolish for you. I'm I mean, I'd like to think that, you know, you guys uh, I know that you guys are running a a fairly successful company and 
I'd like to think that you guys have, um, whoops. I'd like to think that you guys have, uh, you know, some reserves. So if needed, you guys could always go and, you know, float some things until customers pay you for, you know, a few months or however long that needs to be. Um, but then on the flip side, what happens if some of these companies go out of business? Obviously, I mean, if they go out of business, there's no money. Mm-hmm. So you're not getting it. But uh, is there going to be any relief from your vendors because uh, of this craziness? Have you have you heard from them yet? Some of our vendors have, have stated, you know, they've sent out emails saying that they'll waive fees or they'll let people out of contracts early in certain scenarios. Uh, thus far, because of, like I said, not being hit too hard and also um, having reserves in place just for safety reasons. We're, we're pretty cautious as a company in terms of our investments. Uh, We haven't gotten to that situation, but at the end of the day, if it, if this continues on for a year or, you know, more longer, uh, all bets are off for everyone. Um, You know, we could, we could suffer and, and have to fold like, everyone else and i feel really bad for company msps that are just getting started or have over leveraged themselves early on because uh, it's gonna they're gonna be, find themselves in a really tough situation very quickly so so zach i know one of the things that you and i have discussed privately is kind of where you see this going and i'm, I'm gonna call it you know long term uh so, so, you know, we've got COVID-19, we're all quarantined and you, you've kind of implied that we're, we're going to have a ton of unemployment and a massive reduction in the GDP. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's talk of like, basically the economy has been almost completely turned off, right? They're talking yeah. about a GDP output reduction of like 50%, possibly more for a month, maybe three months. And I'm no economist, but I know enough to guess that that's going to put economic pressure on absolutely everyone and everything. And one of the results of that economic pressure is I kind of suspect that smaller cash poor MSPs are probably might be driven out of business and the smaller micro cash poor micro businesses that are kind of the bread and butter of those smaller cash poor MSPs uh, will also be driven out of business, which is going to drive the entire market space into more mature companies mature enough to have survived this. Which, which sounds insane to me. Like you're, you're saying that, you know, the, the little local barbecue joint could go out of business. I mean, that seems feasible to me, but you're also saying that all the little landscapers are going to go out of business. I think any business that is cash poor will like starve. Gotcha. It's just like. We're missing raw economic output here, and that impacts everybody. So the people who will survive this will be the people that have well, revenue streams that are diverse enough to float this or have cash reserves that can float this or who can you know, the ability to get access to significant capital very quickly. 
um, you know, like business loans or lines of credit or what have you. And most micro businesses don't have that readily available. Like they can't just make a phone call and get a hundred thousand dollars uh, from a line of credit transferred into their business bank account. Unless you're that one guy we know. Right. Who <laughs> <laughs> literally did just that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he, and I remember him talking about that. He set that up months ago based yep. off of that uh, outreach he was doing with Goldman Sachs. They were mm-hmm. like, you should have lines of credit to tap into if you need to. Three months later, he taps a line of credit instantaneously, and it's probably going to carry him through this. <laughs> yeah. And and that's insane. I mean, I think he he drew like what did he say like fifty thousand out of it yeah he had um, uh, i think it was three hundred thousand line of credit he pulled fifty thousand out immediately and put it in as a cash reserve just in case worst case scenario I, he pays it back without using it if he doesn't need it but he has yeah. it if he needs it wow it's it's crazy though I mean, there are some there are some positives potentially to to all this, which it's it's hard to even think about right now. Uh, but a lot of companies have been wanting to transition to the cloud or mm-hmm. work from home or at least have that fu- ability forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's you know I think this this whole thing is going to drive companies to finally get that stuff implemented, which will make them more yeah. flexible in the future. Um, also, a lot of companies that the ones that do have some money reserves and are thinking long term and can weather this, if they had to lay off all their employees or you know furlough their employees, now might be a good time to make some of those infrastructure upgrades that you wanted to do because you're not worried about killing your your day to day business because it's already killed. So now is a good time to to get those potentially if you can swing it some of those structural and infrastructure changes out of the way so you're better prepared when work does start up again. But again, that's that's hard for a lot of smaller companies to ha- handle right now, especially with the uncertainty. So for for you guys, are you busier than ever right now? At this moment, we are. Yes. Yeah. And is it because of the quarantine or just things still happening? Oh, I, I'd say I it's mean, we had a it. lot on our plate to begin with, and the quarantine has ramped up a lot of other things like, you know, like getting people provision for work from home and facilitating remote access and all of that stuff. Right. Um, but on the cybersecurity side, especially one attacks have ramped up. Uh, there are unscrupulous groups out there that are targeting critical, uh, critical like pandemic response resources specifically because they are critical like trying to hit like the world health organization and hit hospitals because they're hoping for a big payout from a very desperate target. Um, on the flip side of that, there have actually been some of the ransomware criminal groups, like two or three now that have like publicly stated that like, we're no longer going to be targeting medical facilities specifically because of the pandemic response, just like ethically, that's a line they weren't willing to cross, which is that's that's crazy to think that that's coming from a criminal organization like like we are a criminal organization. And this this line right here, we're like we're not willing to go that far. But there are definitely some organizations that are willing to go that far. And they are. And this is driving a sense of 
It's good PR. Like, I don't feel so bad moving a bunch of Bitcoin over there. They're not so bad. <laughs> right? I, like, I don't know if that's a PR battle they're trying to win or what, but, like, they've said so. And, like, yeah. for whatever reason, you know, a few criminal organizations have said, like, yeah, we're not going to target hospitals anymore because this is just – this is that's not going to help anybody. Like, <laughs> you know, which that's crazy to think about, but it has happened. Um, and this it's, overarching it's crazy to think about a criminal organization with a soul. They have a little bit of a heart. They have customer service departments. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's a thing. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, but I, I think another reason, though, is that we haven't seen a drop off quite yet, too, is that, you know, sales pipelines and project pipelines are often three, six, nine months out. And so when that when those start working their way all the way through the system, we may not have, you know, the pipeline filling back up on the other side still. And that yet remains yet to be seen with this pandemic. And on that positive note. <laughs> Good thing you guys have beers. <laughs> all right. I know Zach has to go. Thank you so much, Zach. Um, we can we can wrap this thing up. I I feel like I feel like I've I've learned a lot. My brain successfully hurts. Um, Good. Shelby, Alan, Zach, thank you so much for for popping in here. Does anyone have any like last words? I'm not murdering anyone. I just you know if you had any <laughs> last <laughs> last last little bit of uh, of insight, last nuggets of wisdom. Hang in there. Endeavor to persevere. Uh. <laughs> yeah, think think about tomorrow, and you know, tomorrow after the pandemic, because most of us are going to survive this thing. So, yeah. you know, as as businesses, it's it's good to think past the current crisis. Would be my my advice to to everyone out there. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully, we'll we'll get to do this again sometime, and. Uh, Maybe even then it'll be under better circumstances or it'll just be we're we're going stir crazy because we haven't left the house in six months. Uh, one of the things that I keep posting on Facebook is, you know, it's you know day 12 of quarantine. I haven't spoken to anyone in six months. Like, wait, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, thanks so much, guys. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Um, for those of you that are, are listening or watching this, uh, check out rocketmsp.io to learn more about, uh, what I do with, uh, helping MSPs to run a better company. And, uh, yeah, Epstein didn't kill himself. Have a great day, everyone. Take care. <laughs> See ya. Okie